got Chris coming in live. Hey, this is Jake coming live from my basement doing Instagram live. What's up? Oh, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can. What an amazing Instagram live to do for the first time in ages. Gosh, I haven't done one. Well, I did one with Mikey in December, but prior to that, it's it's been months and months and months. I was thinking about it, and I think the last one I did was with you and Mikey when you guys did the pin hook collab release with uh, Still Austin. We chatted oh, about yeah. that. Jeez, Which, that was a year ago? Probably, yeah. That, that seems about right. I thought that came out like around February, March of last year. Yeah, Since that seems right. We're allegedly doing a collab with them coming out sometime this year. That's right. What's the status of that? I'm not really sure how much I'm supposed to be talking oh, okay. about, especially in the public. All but right. uh, um, I'm going to New Orleans in three to four okay. weeks to uh, begin the com- the uh, the techniques of what might take place. Very so cool. Yeah, should be an interesting time. Uh, very fun collaboration to do with Pinhook. Um, if you don't know, I work for an Australian outfit called Star Award Whiskey, and we're going to do a fun little collab release with them this year with uh, making some whiskey together. Leave it at that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but that is going to happen this year, yeah. though. The plans started to come out. Uh, I think we were shooting for, like, Father's Day initially. So, oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which could mean, like, Thanksgiving, you know. Well, and... Uh... Uh, speaking of Father's Day, congrats to you again on becoming a father. Oh, thanks. Yeah, what a transition there. Yeah. Didn't even mean to do that. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it's been a been a wild time. So, had the one month checkup today. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Everything's good. Everything is good. So I am happy. Everybody else is happy in the household. So, yeah, I guess we uh, we are uh, very fortunate in that sense. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I'll take all the advice I can get from any dads out there. Bring bring the dad advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris and I were coming in. We were th- talking a lot. This uh, We had lunch about a week or two ago, and we were talking a lot about the the future, the kind of the what will happen in the whiskey industry this year in 2024. Will trends fall off? What trends will take place? And kind of where will the industry be at the end of the year? And so messaged him and said, let's talk about single barrels and LTOs and how they exist in the market today because it's a top, huge topic of conversation as if people will continue to buy these expensive one-offs or will they um, soon fade away. I don't think, I don't think we, either of us think that this whiskey bur- bubble is going to burst at any time soon, but certain elements of it might uh, fade away here in 2024. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we've, this has kind of been an ongoing conversation for anyone that has listened to Key in the Lake over the past, you know, year. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit and, and how we think that some of the things happening probably aren't totally sustainable. They might be able to, they might be able to continue such as single barrels and single barrel selections like <clears throat> they're not going away but they can't keep up at the pace that they they were at for the past 2 years, two and a half years of you know just 
I, I pulled out a bunch of bottles. You can't see them here on, on the table here, but I don't think any one of them is a single barrel. But if I went into my closet where I keep all the whiskey, there's, you know, probably a hundred single barrels in yeah. there. And like, I don't have, I don't have room for, for, you know, continually adding to that and continuing to purchase maybe, maybe like, you know, I can't, I'm not going to have five Russell's reserve single barrels, you know, like that was kind of a thing a year or two ago, you know, you would chase something like that. You'd try and collect them all. And uh, I think that that's kind of, that's going to be gone. Like people aren't going to be buying multiples of a particular brand single barrels just using yeah. Russell's reserve as a an example like I just don't see that, that being a sustainable model for a lot of brands yeah I, I agree and I actually in kind of Russell's is a good jumping point there because I talked to one of their reps earlier this year probably like in October end of October and they're still charting to do a thousand single barrels this year in the U.S. yeah which that's, is a ton. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, it's a huge number. I would su- I assume it's probably right up there with anybody else's the most that's happening in the U.S. There could be more that I don't know about. But it's it's interesting to see how in other brands, you know, they're trailing off. Everybody else I talk to kind of at smaller brands, kind of around my size at Star Wars or just other smaller houses were probably down – on average, I'd say 30% on a rough estimate just through conversation from 2022 to 2023 single barrel sales. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, and it was just kind of a natural – I think you just saw stores having less too. Well, some stores. Yeah. <laughs> um, other stores maybe re-engaged and, or reloaded in, um, in a bigger way in 2023 with buying single barrels. But um, even my, my travels for work to take me to like Texas and Florida – Colorado and other states, you would I would go into these big, big shops and you'd see the bigger guys have more single barrels, but you would see less things from like the Midwest being down in Texas, just yeah. by happenstance of looking at the shelf the shelf st- uh, stack and seeing what was going on there just through a visual eye. But then in through communication, you see that people are trailing off, even though the numbers towards the end of the year were saying that people were the consumers were still buying a ton of whiskey. They were buying a lot of whiskey that was over the $75 price point and then under that $30 price point. So, you know, you know where that's coming. Your Evan Williams buyers, your Jim Beam buyers, um, people that are just are reaching for the same handle of whiskey each and every weekend. And yeah. then people who are seeking out something special. But then what was left in the middle was that like $60 bottle, that $55 bottle um, of whiskey that a lot of people – enjoy but don't always go after or kind of neglect because they're always searching for that bigger and better thing but will that search continue yeah that's a good point um and it brings up like just thinking about what you said there in terms of like people going for maybe that little bit of a higher end bottle the 75 dollar bottle and then the lower end bottle and I think the lower end, that $40-ish price point is going to be, I think that's going to be a huge, 
huge area of growth probably this year and going into next year. I think brands are going to either create a new product or, yeah, probably most likely create a new product to fit into that mm. that category. Here's one right here. Yeah. Green River. Great choice. This just came out. This is the Green River Rye. They just released this. But this entire, this brand is built on $35 whiskeys. Yeah. The entire standard lineup is 35 bucks. And then they have a single barrel bourbon that's like 60 bucks. Yeah. And it's cask strength. And then and the they have a weeded bourbon, a standard bourbon, and then a rye. $35. And I think they're all like 95 proof. And I think that's going to be like a niche that that some of these places can can get into and and live there. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, um, a lot of brands I've worked for in the past are in that comfort spot, that thirty five to fifty dollar price point where people feel like they aren't going to bust the bank to take a chance on a whiskey or whatever thing they're buying, whatever consumer product. Um, and it kind of it's interesting to see how many more rise will come out this year or how many different variations of rise because it's been we've always we've been talking about it for five years now how it's been um i don't know underrated if you will um mikey will do the leader leading cheerleader for that (laughs) conversation um but there's a lot of good ones out there like you look at uh sorry i hear the dog out of the room or she's gonna have (laughs) go crazy it's all good yeah Oh, she's still blocked. You know, it, it does, it's interesting that conversation. It's like with, with those brands, if they're going to have this more inexpensive, everyday approach, approachable whiskey on the price point, probably on its palate too, will they also continue to purchase to make things that are going to cost a hundred dollars? Will they kind of go into that <clears throat> to that range as well? What you've seen from a lot of a lot of distillers, not just in America but all across the world. I mean. You have single malts that they'll they'll put out, you know, their ten to twelve range whiskey for somewhere between fifty to seven fifty to seventy dollars, and then all of a sudden they jump out and there's like a twenty five twenty five year on the shelf that costs one hundred and sixty dollars or whatever it may be, um, and then you find like Booker's for example, something that we both love, which is ninety dollars ninety nine dollars ninety five dollars in Chicago when you can find it on the shelf. And then Mikey puts out the article where he's researching auction houses and it's up to $465 in some places. Yeah, that's interesting that Booker's is there. There's a huge demand for Booker's on secondary, which I'm speaking of Booker's ish, mm. Booker's ish, uh, a Knob Creek uh, single barrel from Delilah's. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's bourbon. Right. Oh, it's, yep. Okay. Awesome. 115 proof. I believe it is. Yep. That's cool. I didn't know that they had a uh, Knob Creek single barrel. They have a bourbon and a rye from last year. Very. Or two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. 29th anniversary. So, yeah, it's been two years ago. Very nice. Yeah. One of those purchases you make at, uh, you know, let's call it 1A after drinking for a while at Delilah's and you're like, oh, I should probably take a bottle home with me too because they can sell. Why not? 
Yeah, you get sucked into that at a, after a, a long night at Delilah's, but I'm yeah. sure it's delicious. It's pretty good for all you out there. I think it's only like $8 to pour in the bar, too. Oh, geez, so. that's, that's killer. Yeah. Um, no, but sorry, you were talking about bookers? Yeah, I was just saying that is interesting that it's it's blowing up on, on secondary. Um, I guess it makes sense. It is it is a limited product. Then once one of those, once one of those batches, you know, catches fire and someone says something good about it, then next thing you know, uh, everyone's, everyone's on it. It's, um, what's interesting though, is like this past, I had no problem with the the bookers that came out over 2023. I thought they were good. They did not get get a lot of love from from most people um throughout the course of the year i don't know what what people are are looking for in bookers it's gonna be i mean they've been putting out seven year age statements uh on it so the age statement's been going up um over the past year and a half or so um it's gonna drink it's gonna be a potent whiskey you know it's yeah. going to be 126 127 ish proof and it's uh, it's going to pack a punch yep. um i i always enjoy it it's it didn't get a lot of love last year but uh, i think is the first batch already out for this year i don't know if i saw maybe not i I don't, I don't know. I've been unfortunately been distracted with other things in life that aren't <laughs> yeah. as important as whiskey anymore. I don't know. <laughs> um, which, yeah, I, that's funny too because I, I came to a conclusion some point last year. Don't remember when because you're trying to keep up with everything. Part of it is, yeah, I, I should know from my job what's happening in the market. Another part of it, it's like, oh yeah, you're in this like whiskey online community and want to keep up on things. But at the end of the day, my my job is to represent one brand and to know what's going in the market, but not to know every single thing about every individual product and every individual whiskey yeah. house. Just too hard to keep up. And I think that's where the people that truly are the whiskey influencers, people like you, that's where like I will let you guys have the have the space to tell me what's uh what's going <laughs> on in the market more. And you know, hopefully I just like scroll through on Instagram or something and you see a you see a release or you see a comment or you see somebody talking about something they really loved the bottle they really loved and all that stuff and can kind of go off of it from there. Yeah, uh, it is hard to keep up. It's it's uh, there's always something coming at you, especially I'm I'm just looking around. I just went into my closet and threw a bunch of stuff on the table because I didn't know what I wanted to to drink while we were talking tonight. So yeah. I have. I have stuff from, um, and it's it's funny because I did not do this on purpose at all, and now I'm looking at what I what I pulled out on the table, and I have pretty much all, actually, have all craft whiskey except for I don't think you can consider Green River a craft a craft producer, but I have Chattanooga whiskey, I have uh, Cedar Ridge, I have a uh, uh, Balcones. I don't is that how you. Say? say bel- balcone balcones or balcones i never know how to say this distillery name i am right there with you i've been saying balcones for a decade so i'm just gonna okay. stick with that yeah but then like I'll, i have this all your people in texas go balcones and i'm like well they're in texas so they gotta know right you know? Yeah. yeah but i don't yeah. know yeah but i'm I just looking at the table 
I have all craft whiskeys here on the table, which I, I did not do that on purpose at all. I just started, <laughs> I just started grabbing some bottles that I thought maybe I would drink. Yeah. So I think that's cool. This is, this says something to me right there. Like there is some really, really good craft whiskey being made these days that can stand up to the Kentucky producers and, and the big boys. And I think that's a really cool trend. I mean, I know that there's always been craft whiskey and it's been growing, but like you're starting to see like stuff like this holiday. Yeah. And they're putting out six year age statements. They're putting out, this one is called Rick house proof. So mm. they're, they pull it from um, one Rick house and multiple floors from the Rick house and do, a blend of all of those barrels and whatever that proof comes out at, they call it the Rickhouse proof. Cool. This one happens to be 120.1. But you have a brand like this kind of came out of nowhere. Like yeah. Holiday came out of nowhere over the past, what, year-ish, year yeah. and a half, two years. And, you know, six-year, seven-year age statements on their whiskey and really outstanding stuff stuff you know and same thing with like here's another brand hard truth yeah these guys are putting out just some ridiculous rye whiskey now they just released uh, a lineup of uh their first uh bourbons that i think are all four four to six years old i think that's all their and own uh, whiskey being made yeah in indiana it's their own whiskey and so I think it's cool to just look look at this table and be like, wow, this is all craft whiskey that I happen to to pull out of the out of the closet and it's all super delicious mm-hmm. and it's and it's it's kind of like what I'm excited about these days. Yeah. Is these is the are these these types of brands. Well, and it seems like like the the excitement level of the consumers, which are driving the, the craft brands, A, to grow up, but also to challenge themselves, what they've been doing for the last 12 to 15 years during this whole renaissance of whiskey, has been based upon their innovation to decipher themselves from the big guys and to do things a little bit differently. And a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it was marketing. I mean, you were, it was more of a marketing pitch than it was an actual whiskey-based Based on flavor and profile and its own nuances of the product, it was more towards how do we market this to people than it is towards like how can we make a really good product. And that's just the kind of the the growing pains, if you will, when starting a distillery. Uh, now we've gotten from you know this uh, movement of distillers across the U.S. trying their hand in craft whiskey to a plethora of approaching 2,800 distilleries in America. Which is really interesting, but those original guys are growing up. They have that six-year-old whiskey. They have bottles and bonds. They have this innovation that's been, um, I guess, just insipid, if you will, all in the whiskey industry to the point they are now making or having the big guys focus on them. And I was working for small brands, um, especially here in the U.S. You see how the influence of what the smaller brands are doing are making an impact on the bigger guys. Totally, all this. You- but, you know, in all this uh, packaging based around family and heritage be out there from the the Russells, the Beams, and whoever else follows suit with that. 
if it wasn't for these smaller distilleries talking about their family heritage and how they related into the whiskey world being true or not. I mean, like obviously marketing in America was built on folklore. A lot of that folklore coming from the whiskey industry, um, you know, and kind of that being perpetuated in the 1950s post-World War II to a very extreme amount. But the overall statement I guess I'm trying to make is that the craft brands have influenced the, the patterns that the big guys are starting to uh, tar- starting to create and now put out into the rest of the world. Totally in a, in a major way. And um, it's, it's cool to see, you know, the impact that they're having and then not only influencing what, what the big guys are doing. And then, like you said, now actually putting out the product that um, we can all, actually try and we can all kind of be out here talking about and touting and telling people like you need to try this stuff like get out of your get out of your hole you know or your your box of just you know drinking the same five or six big brands and try some of these these uh, products from the, the craft dis- distilleries that are actually worth your time and worth your money yeah and and a lot of it it is not expensive either, you know. Yeah. We've seen that price point go down um, quite a bit over the last few years, especially probably from like 2019 and through COVID. The uh, the price point to the small brands going from like that $55 range to keep their lights on, which was kind of the, the standard price point um, in the industry back in, you know, the teens of 2000s. Um, and now you see them more in that 40 to 45 dollar price range so yes if you want to try something from a brand you never had before uh i saw someone say they had balconies on their shopping list like go for it it that's a very uh i don't know it's a, it's a distillery will create opinions on both sides of the aisle it's kind of a bit, bit polarizing yeah but, uh, it is i love it. it it's the first craft whiskey I, I ever had and this is i don't even maybe 2011 i had this with a a beer pairing in a in a bar in Dallas randomly guys like do you like whiskey I'm like I do he's like you should try this it's locally made I'm like okay and it was baby blue I was like oh man this is oh, awesome yeah. yeah so this is cool stuff so it's near and dear to my heart and I like it I understand like what's going on in Texas and making whiskey but that what's how the impact of where you make it the weather that's there barrel aging um, what they will all do the whiskey you're you're distilling and then barrel aging down in Texas yeah uh, Brett the reason well, we're not playing Coob is because you start your internship with Keena Lake tomorrow, so you shouldn't be playing Coob either. You should be studying um, for what's to come. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, you bring up a good point, which I was actually thinking about this earlier today uh, about uh, a topic uh, to talk about. And, and like when you talk about Balcones and like that particular brand and that whiskey and like basically their style or what becomes their style because of the factors, because of the, the environment that they have to work with and, and all those things that go into it. And then their, their whiskey comes out tasting a certain way. Now I've had some of their stuff where I, I was like, man, this just tastes like an ashtray or, or like it tastes like super, super, bitter coffee grounds and and but then i have something like this this is their single malt that has been finished in a bunch of different sherry casks and it's just 
this is amazing. It's yeah. It's such a good whiskey. But I've had some of their ryes that are fantastic as well. I'm just saying, like, some of their stuff might taste a certain way. And what I'm trying to get, the point I'm trying to get to is that you have to kind of change your mindset a little bit when you're trying some of these whiskeys from different places yes and think about think about what the environment is think about the 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 grain that they're using think about all those factors that are going into making the whiskey and then what came out of the that process and those factors and taking the whiskey for what it is and not trying not to compare it to something else, you know, just taking it for what's in the glass and listening to the story or, or, or looking into how the whiskey was made and just instead of judging it against everything else, just think about what's in the glass and, and try to change how you, how you're thinking about it and just say, is this, did they put out a product that is, a quality product. Now you might not like it. It might not be to your, your palate and taste, but can you recognize it as a quality whiskey? And I've been trying to do that more myself. Like, I feel like, I feel like to become a, what you would consider a connoisseur, a master taster. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Not, I wouldn't say that, but like, if you want to be a, if you want to be a connoisseur of something, it doesn't even have to be whiskey. It could be anything. You have to be able to taste something or try something and separate it or put it in it, put it in a, a box, I guess, in a way, and just evaluate it as is this a quality made product i i might not like it but was it made well did it did it did they accomplish what they were what they set out to do and maybe you don't know if they did because you don't know the story and you don't you you haven't looked into all of the things that went into it but i think that's a good way to look at a product like balcones like because it is so polarizing i think shifting the way you think think about that brand and probably a lot of other brands that are out there that you come upon like changing your mindset and thinking that way i think would would help a lot of people when they're when they're trying things and tasting things and whatever and actually that brings me to this I'm doing a tasting on Thursday with this brand. It's called Griffin and Grain. It's mm. out of California. I don't know anything about them, but they're they're making they're making the whiskey um, in California. They're using some some different type of grains. They're using Merced rye. They're using something called Mapes Ranch corn, uh, malted two row barley standard. Yeah. Um, and this one they're using red wheat and so just like 
I'm I'm gonna go into tasting those whiskeys on Thursday with the mindset of like, okay, this is a California-made whiskey. Um, I'm gonna listen to the story. I'm gonna listen to their process of making it, where they're getting the grains from, and I'm gonna judge it. Not judge it, but just evaluate it and think about it in a different in a different mindset. I'm not gonna compare it to to anything else. You know, I'm just gonna take it for what it is. And I think looking at it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's um, it's something that I, I've been trying to do. Of course, it's nearly impossible to not do comparisons when you're when you're drinking whiskey. You know, you're always thinking, you're always associating what does this remind me of, or what does this taste like. But I've been trying to get out of that a little bit and just evaluating, you know, the whiskey for you know, what the producer said they were trying to do. Yeah. I think it's what you're kind of getting hinting at is hunting down the purpose. What is, yeah. what is the purpose of the distillery? And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about are people following purpose and truth and identity or pursuing, I guess, uh, a true passion for them when creating this whiskey or creating a product or this jumping on to the next trend and hoping to see that it'll stick and it will sell on the shelf. Um, a lot of brands I think that are succeeding, maybe they aren't the best, biggest money makers or not making the amount of money they want to at this point. And I think that's, that's such a huge long game in whiskey or anything you, you believe in a product that you create. If you do it with like a, a passion and a purpose, it's not going to be probably understood and take the easy way or easy way out to make a lot of money um, right off the bat. But the brands that do have, a purpose of it's even if it's buying product from a source distillery and blending it in house, I think the ones that do that really well are the ones that are really transparent about it um, and talk about where they're doing this and why they're doing it. And then how they do the blending process and what they're searching for at the end of the day, when they create this whiskey from, you know, a lab or whatever you want to call it, a desk um, and using the palate versus by using the machines from the mash to fermenting and distilling the back, the, the back part of it. They have the front part of it, and then they can put it um, into the blending operation that they choose to do, and they can do finishes. They can do whatever they want with the whiskey, but they're searching for something that they have an idea of in their head. And with that, I think those those are the brands that are not just uh, here for a flicker of a moment and then fade away. They're the ones kind of hanging out for a while, um, create a lot of purpose, becoming friends with people um, inside this industry where – people who work for their brands will still become advocates of those brands, even though they don't work for them necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great point. And I love that, that you made the point of like those brands that actually, you know, like stay with it are passionate about what they're doing are the ones that, that end up winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great example that I, that came to, to mind for me and I'm looking at one of their bottles here on my table is these guys, Chattanooga whiskey. Now, again, you might not like this whiskey. You might not like what they're doing, but they had a purpose from the, from the beginning. And that was that they're going to use a ton of malted grains, different malted grains when making their whiskey, you know, the, their, First master distiller came from Boston Beer Company. Was a beer maker. 
familiar with malted grains and they have stuck to that and they have continued to just put out product after product and they they talk about their philosophy and they put their message out they talk about why they're doing it why they think it works and it it is definitely resonating with people they're it it resonated with me from from the start but i think that they're a prime example of what you're what you're talking about when it comes to the actual distilling of the whiskey and making the whiskey and taking a different approach to whiskey making that brand to me is like they're they're like the top of of the game when it comes to to doing things a little bit different and then sticking with it continuing to to put their message out and i think they're I think they're doing a great job and I think they're succeeding. Yeah, no, uh, um, that's a really great point. Cause, uh, what's their 111 proof bourbon. Yeah. They, um, they have a, one, they, uh, uh, chat 111. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's, it's a whiskey that I totally get. They do. I've had conversations with people from the brand. Um, obviously you are connected with them too. Wilson's are friends with them. So I've had a lot of conversations based around it and, it's one of these whiskeys where I really like the flavor. Um, I understand what they're doing with the mash bill and the proof point, but it just like doesn't match with my palate for some reason. Initially, I was like, why did they make it 111? Why are they jumping on this 110 uh, proof train at first? And just, then I, through conversations that I had had, I remember like what they were kind of going for um, with certain proof points and what flavor profile they're trying to get. And it's like, okay, that didn't match what I love about whiskey. But I still appreciate the hell about what they did. To exactly. It. Exactly, and that's exact. Goes back to my last point that that I was making. Like right. now, you get it. You, yes, you might not like it. Might not fit with with what you would typically want to drink. But you understand it and think that you, that it's a well made whiskey, and they executed it according to what they wanted to get. Sure. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I deal with that every day, you know, from being in sales, whatever, with whiskey. It's like, like, oh, it's a little light. It's like, yeah, it's an 82 proof whiskey. That was our intention. And we're not trying yeah. to go for, like, we have single barrels that are 115 proof, but um, for this core expression, we're trying to make a softer whiskey where the nuances of the fruits comes, to, comes through. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, it's like fruity whiskey. I'm like, yep. <laughs> you yeah. Answer that question yourself. Like, you're finding our intention for sure. Um, from what you taste it, it may just be like what you're looking for. It may not fit what your back bar does. It might never be on a cocktail inside of your bar, but like here's what our brand is trying to succeed at each and every day to, make, to create consistency inside of our yeah. bottles. Yeah. And it makes, it makes perfect sense. And it's, it's great to hear someone like you explain that, you know, as someone is, as someone is drinking the whiskey and making that, Helping them make that connection, I think, is is super important, and that's why you know people that do your job, that the job that you do is super important for for brands to be able to have people like you that can help you know get across the intention of of the whiskey, and um, yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely yeah. huge. I'm not sure how important I am, but we try our, we try our, our hardest out there. All of us whiskey reps, 
but it is interesting. Like I was sitting at a bar today and there was a large portfolio manager, let's call that spirits there. And they're, I don't know, they had like an Irish, uh, American, a gin, this and that. So they're tasting out the, um, the bar manager and like the bar manager asked like, he wasn't being a dick or anything. He's like, he's like asked like, what's Nashville on this? Like, hey, why'd you bring this today? Is there like a price point cut on it? Like, yeah, 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 you know, there's, there's, there's talking about like the whiskey from a financial standpoint and how it fit in the back bar, but didn't talk about the whiskey itself that's inside the bottle, what it tastes like, where it comes from, what the mash bill, how long it's aged for, um, what they're doing different. Like one of these brands, they're doing, they had changed this particular whiskey quite a bit, but like no one was there to actually be able to talk about the nuances the story and the intention behind the whiskey inside the bottle or even the gin inside the bottle for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose for, you know, certain, certain brands, I guess it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's a pure, it's purely looked at as a, I guess, a, a, you know, a, com- a commodity behind the bar or something. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even really matter what what the story is but yeah i think that you know that's that's fine to have to have those those whiskeys they're always they're always going to exist they're always going to be behind the bar because there's of course plenty of people that order it and drink it but um you know those are the whiskeys that you and i aren't necessarily interested in one of them Actually, we would be. Oh, which really? was the sad, which was the sad part. Really? Where actually two of them, two brands, and one. Okay, so this person was doing a poor job. People, I should say. People. people. There was multiple. Um, no, I, I. There's a reason why people get. Uh, I mean, like sales reps have one, one job and one initiative when it comes to what they do on a daily basis, and part of my job is sales, but also it's a lot of it's education, and it yeah. kind of went self hand in hand, but it's also helpful when I'm a passionate about whiskey and be passionate about what I'm selling. That all, that always helps a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but because even like today, I kind of stumped, we have a new, a new whiskey coming out and I know it very well, but I just, you know, being off for a little bit, I hadn't like really done the full pitch on it yet. And I was stumbling through with one of my buyers that I'm good friends with. And he's like, do you want to start over and do that all over again? I'm like, you know what? Actually I would do a take too. And it's like, yeah, here's everything you need to more about it versus like just coming in there casually talking maybe too much like friend to friend versus um, colleague to colleague. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it can get kind of need some, uh, get those training wheels back on when you take a couple of weeks off, I guess. <laughs> Let's see. Wendy made a comment here. Uh, how integral is it for you, Chris, when you hear the story, when you're tasting and figuring out the the philosophy, message, and truth of that product you're tasting. I, I think it's important, you know, especially if it's like the example I showed before, like this brand, like that I'm going to be tasting on Thursday, I'm going to be paying super close attention to the story and not the story of like, if, if they have, have some, my grandpa, this and that kind of story, <laughs> more of like the yeah. story of, how they're creating the product is more important to me. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily care if this is, if this is a brand that's from a family that's been, you know, farming the land 
and for the, uh, 100 years, and that's where the grain is coming from. I mean, I think that's a cool story. Don't get yeah. me wrong. You should not You should not, not tell that. Yeah. Uh, that should be somewhere in the conversation. 100%. The, the story should be told. I, I do not disagree with that at all. But I'm more interested in, just from my point of view, uh, the kind of consumer and drinker that I am, I'm more interested in, like, the quality of the, the, the greens that you're using. I want to know your philosophy behind why you're doing what you're doing mm -hmm. and what has come out of that philosophy and that process that you've created to make the whiskey. I'm more interested in that story because it's, it's more, it's easier obviously to connect that part of the story to what you're actually drinking because that story creates the product in the yep. glass and absolutely so i'm definitely interested in all that stuff and i think it's super important now again it's not probably as important to to most people out there but personally it's it's super important to me yeah i mean it's like taking for example just whiskey being finished in wine casts it's been a huge thing for the last five years or so yeah. And I apologize to anybody. I can't see the comments oh. going on here. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll 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 read the good ones that come up. Yeah, I saw Brett's, and then I didn't see anybody's uh, after that. Anyway, um, you know, they take like, like your wine cast finishing and whiskey. Like, if you're just taking wine barrels from wherever you can buy them, put whiskey inside there, and like there's a sweet influence to it. Okay, and you have no story behind it versus something where you have like, hey, like we're using this specific um madeira cast because we thought it would bring this profile and we had it where we kind of wanted it but we wanted a little more dryness to it so we put it into a pinot noir cast for a little bit too to tone down some of these super fruity notes to it where we got it from this vineyard because we knew what this wine would do we hoped this wine barrel would do this to this to this whiskey having that story to tell and that contemplation about what the brand is doing and then put it into a product and coming out with a really great end result is where is is a great gift and that's where you should be sharing how that process entire entirely works with the consumer because it there are people that want to know there's people that are very curious about it i don't think i'd have a job if people weren't curious about it yeah but um yeah and that's where you should we should come into the storytelling and take into concept take into uh into account what the concept of the whiskey is from the back end I agree and you know what this might be i, I don't think this is if people actually think about what I'm about to say, this isn't controversial, but I think that 90% of brands that are finishing have no story or real reason as to why they're doing it. They're just doing it because they're chasing trends. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly think that, and they might end up, they might end up with a product that actually tastes good just because it's more likely to happen than it's than it's not probably like if you're paying attention to to the process as you're doing it but i, I think a lot of brands don't really have there's real there's not really a true intention behind it other than that we need to put out a port finished whatever whiskey and I don't 
I don't think they're looking at it as this port will, will bring out X in our whiskey. It's more like we think it's going to work because it's just it's a good barrel. We make good whiskey kind of thing and we need the product. So Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's no it's it's pros over poise. You know, like there's no there's no true like uh looking into what the DNA of the distillery is, it's looking into the DNA of the market and where you can find 100%. out a trend. So I fully think that that is driving it more than anything else. Yeah, and, and coming for a company that's been barrel aging whiskey and wine barrels for 16, 17 years now, everyone kind of thinks like, oh, jump on the bandwagon, yeah. huh? You're like, yep. You're like, we actually bandwagon. mature our whiskey in the wine barrels, you know, like we're actually... Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, uh, it kind of gives me to a, a conversation. I mean, I don't want to be too upfront because I do have a job, but, um, you know, I had a customer who like they're in the whiskey world, I'll put it that way. And they bought a couple of single barrels or two from us. But they uh one person reached out to me about getting another one. I was like, Yeah, sure, like your last barrel kicked ass. It was awesome and delicious. And um to not give it away completely, it's like, yeah, that those French oak stays, um, the maturation in this certain wine cast gave the a really interesting characteristic uh, that's not typical of Star Wars, but um, was really great for a single barrel. And they're like, yeah, 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 it was really good. Like, can you get another one? I'm like, no, we don't actually have a, a French oak uh, staves um, aged in this particular wine, from this particular type of wine with this grain inside of there anymore. And the, and the guy responds back like, well, if you send me another French oak wine barrel finished whiskey, it won't sell well because we don't ever do well with those. And I'm like, you just told me how well your whiskey that was finished, not finished, but completely barrel aged in a wine barrel in French oak stays from a certain type of red wine <laughs> sold off the shelf super fast. <laughs> and I'm just like, what's going on yeah. here? Like as a consumer, this, and this, I mean, they're more like a consumer. I'll put it that way. And like, this is somebody who is influencing people to buy whiskey from their club, from stores in multiple areas of the country. And they don't even take the time to consider about what they're buying and into the re research into what the brand actually does, even though I'm sure we've told them as yeah. a brand like a hundred times. Um, and then to be so naive to not even look into what you purchased from said brand uh, and say, I, I don't want anything like that, even though you just told me <laughs> how awesome it was. Yeah. It's like, you just... Do you realize you just told me that that's what was such an awesome whiskey that really sold out quickly? Yeah. Like, so I no. just sent them samples today, and it's all French oak staves um, with wine barrels finishing, if you will, <laughs> a.k.a. complete maturation. So I don't know. It, it, it bugs me to think that people are um, – they have a manipulation over certain markets. Maybe it's a tiny little market, but, hey, like even if like, you're in a town that has 100,000 people and you have the best whiskey shop there – like you're going to manipulate some really some really great potential purchases for brands and to build a little network of consumerism at certain spots. So, I mean, to not understand, I, I understand like you can't know everything about every single brand, but when you're making big volume purchases like single barrels, you should probably know what you're purchasing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might, you know, you might want to. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you, yeah, to tell that story to your customers. But I mean, at the end of the day, if it's like what's inside the bottle, I guess that's all it counts, really. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim Evans uh, is asking Tim. about, uh, I don't know if you, Tim, if you're asking here, the Starlight issue, what's the core brand? Um, oh. We've, we've had this conversation um, on Key in the Lake a bit <laughs> about about Starlight. I mean, I think we both love the brand. Might have ripped the brand a little hard that day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we both love the brand. We both think they put out amazing, amazing whiskeys. Um, I'm of the opinion that they that they have gone a little too hard into the finishing. And again, I love I love these I love the people. I love the brand. I think everything that they're they're putting out is fantastic except that there is maybe an identity crisis looming because if uh, if the continual finishing papers off where is you know where is the where's the brand left you know where's the core product that you can point to or that people can go to uh, with yeah. them and that's not to say they don't have it because they do. They put out, they put out small batch bourbons. They put out small batch ryes. It's just not really been uh, a focus of theirs. I, I think, think over the past two years, just because of what we've seen going on in in yeah. in the market. Um, so again, it's 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 a great brand. I'm sure they'll they'll figure out um, you know where they're going to go. They just they just they're doing well. They just installed two mm-hmm. uh, two brand new column stills um, in their distillery, so they, things are going okay. They're putting away whiskey, and I'm sure that they'll uh, be able to figure out anything they need to along the way. And I'm not ripping on them in any way other than to say that. You know the finishing. They built the brand on finishing, and will that is that sustainable? But what, that was like their intent yeah. too, right? I mean, yeah. Christian travels all over the place to find barrels and studies the barrels before he brings them back me, to the distillery. No one does finishing beside. It, it's like Starlight and Bardstown Bourbon Company. If mm-hmm. you want to, if you want a master class in finishing whiskey. It's those two distilleries, in my in my opinion. Yeah, like, no one does it better. No one knows how to pick a barrel to to finish their whiskey in. If anyone's doing it with intent, it's Starlight, you know. And um, it's just that could all the eggs be in one basket? I don't know. I guess it remains to be seen because the. Um, the bubble has not burst by any <laughs> means. So, you know, I, I'm sure they'll they'll have it all figured out. This is not a criticism criticism of them in any way. Yeah. I see comments again. Steve says they have forty one they only finishes. Have forty one finishes. Yes. Well, they do have forty one finishes, that's for sure. Yes, Steven. They do. But they do um, have standard product as well. It just, they do. I don't yeah. think that many people know about it. 
that I understand. I mean, it's when you go to a major liquor store here in Chicago and you see 29 single barrels on the shelf, you're like, uh, what, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do with this? And I get it. I, I totally understand it. And maybe they will be that outlier. Maybe it'll be the outlier. It doesn't yeah. matter what finishing they do. They it'll be a successful product regardless. And like, we obviously know we've tasted the whiskey off of still there. We've tasted their core products. We've tasted barrels uh, beyond barrels at that place. Everything they do is delicious. So it's, yes. it, it's not, not lack of good product. It's, I think it's uh lack of, restraint of imagination which i don't think is a bad thing necessarily like i it's, i, I kind of love what they do because they're the ones that have that intention behind it and that purpose drives them every day to create the whiskey yeah. they do tim makes a good point though exactly what do you pick yeah i mean <laughs> if there's 41 there's 41 finishes on the shelf like what do you what are you supposed to pick and that that's a good question it's it's uh i don't have the answer for that because it, especially if especially if you're a you're not uh an enthusiast like you tim you're an enthusiast so i know that there's something that you could probably dial in on and pick pick from but most people walk into the big box and see 29 different skews all different finishes and they're not uh, a huge whiskey drinker that's going to make them turn and go right to the whiskey that they know and love. And they're going to grab a bottle of maker's Park. Yep. <laughs> because they're going to be overwhelmed with, with that. And I get it, but also I'm not sure that I'm not sure that starlight cares mm. or that Benny's cares because sure. they know that, you're going to pick up the maker's mark. They're also in the very uh, unique circumstance of being a destination for that, that part of Indiana and Kentucky. Totally. Um, it's not just the whiskey that drives their business. It's having That's this right. giant family farm that has products you can never think of. It has anywhere from picking apples to getting amazing ice cream that's made there um, on site and then having lunch, going into the gift shop and buying wine, brandy, whiskey, uh, whatever you can imagine, then going over the market and buying food for a week and then pies for like the whole entire fall. True. <laughs> I think, uh, I think they get like, it's some crazy number. I, this might be wrong, but I think it's like in the neighborhood of like 500,000 people, 500 million people, wow. 500 million people, something like Several hundred thousand people visit that farm yeah. throughout the course of a year for all the different things that have nothing to do uh, with whiskey. So I, and I told you the other day, I was there two May, I think it was two years ago, um, on a random Sunday in May. It was 50 degrees, gray, cool for that time of year. And it was probably like noon. I was driving back from Nashville. And it was packed. Like people, the parking lot was full. People were having yeah. lunch. People were going on tractor rides. People were getting ice cream, even though it wasn't even warm outside. People were going on distillery and wine tours. And that was probably a slow Sunday for me. Yeah. Based on the weather. Yeah. So, yeah, they could just be in that fortunate circumstance that they have more than just whiskey to offer that will draw customers there. 
um, and discover their whiskey while they're not knowing they even have whiskey and can keep doing things uh, the way they want to. Yep. Yeah, they they're in a unique, definitely in a unique position. Um, yeah. Um, what other brands are you interested in this year? Um, that's a good question. I want. I want. Are you ex- looking forward to anything from a certain brand? I want to explore some more Cedar Ridge. Yep. I want to get yeah. into, so I absolutely, this is their Portside port uh, American Single Malt. Uh, my 2023 Whiskey of the Year. It's just absolutely ridiculous whiskey. So their American Single Malt at cask strength, 117.2 proof. And it was aged in first fill ruby port. First fill Amontillado Sherry and Virgin mm. French Oak casks for six years. Amazing whiskey. But I want to try some more of their stuff. I've had a good a good bit of their their, their whiskey, but I want to try some some more of their expressions. I think this is a brand that is totally like flying under the radar for their core products. Um, again, they're not. They're not everywhere either. Obviously, that's that's a factor in that. But like, there's people sourcing whiskey from them yeah. and blending it and, into their own products. Like these guys are making like people who know whiskey and people who are creating brands know Cedar Ridge and they're buying whiskey from them to to build their brand off of. So that tells me something right there that like really. Really, really good whiskey is coming out of uh, Cedar Ridge, which is in by in, in Iowa, by the way. If people don't know, Number one state. yeah, Jake's Jake's homeland. Um, I've been out there. I, I visited them um, two falls ago, so I want to go out there in the summertime, like when they have when they have the whole place open up, and and uh, I want to spend like a day there. You know, eat there. Or sit out on their huge patio, look out over their vineyards. They have vineyards yep. there because they make they make wine. Um, kind of like a mini starlight, you know, yeah. that they've got yeah. going on there. Definitely. Um, no, I agree um, with you on that. So that's a brand that it's, I'm interested in. Um, these guys, I'm definitely, anything that they put out, Holiday, I want to know about it. I want to try it. I want to drink it. Um Great brand, Hard Truth. I'm excited about the Hard Truth um, bourbons. So um, I'm going to be down in Kentucky in a couple of weeks, and they're do they're doing a release, um, a public release of their bourbons. I think the weekend that I'm going to be down there. So when I'm coming home, I think I'm going to stop in there and uh, and try all of those. So that's a brand that I'm really interested in as well is hard truth which is nashville but nashville indiana yes it is brown county indiana brown county then of course like my all too well yeah the the staples that i always love i love chattanooga so they actually just sent me this bottle this is a a white port cask finish their 
bourbon finished in a, a white port nice. cask. So last year they did ruby port, and this year they're doing white port. Have not tried it yet, but um, anything they put out, I I want to I want to try. Um, yeah, there's probably others. Pinhook, of course, we got to get that mentioned in there. No. You know, you know, I was looking. Did Pinhook put out a flagship rye in 2023? I was wondering the same thing the other day as I was walking through a liquor store. I'm like, I was trying to figure this out because I was well um, looking. I typically buy their flagships every year, and yeah. I was looking at my bottles today, and I couldn't find a 2023 flagship rye. And then I went to the website and I couldn't find a 2023 flagship rye listed on the website. Now they changed their website a little bit. It's kind of, it was like a little kind of harder to find things, but I couldn't find it. Hmm. So I was like, I swear, how could they not put out a flagship rye? But maybe they didn't. I don't know. Or maybe I just completely missed it. I'm not sure. But anyway, Besides that, uh, yeah, of course, anything that Pinhook puts out, I want to, I want to try, and yeah, we'll see what they do. If only we knew the owner and could reach out to him. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um. um yeah, they're obviously going to probably do some amazing things. The Mister Embellish Pod just told us that uh, 2024 is going to be the year of Whiteport. Whiteport finish. Interesting. Four brands doing white port in 2024. Interesting. Yeah, well, Chattanooga is the first one I think to, to put it out this year, at least that I've that I've seen. Yeah, and uh, it's been in the works for a little while. So apparently, some other brands have had it in the works as well. I only had a white port finished whiskey once, and that was from a Tasmanian whiskey. Hmm. I don't think I've ever had a white port finished whiskey. I do mm. enjoy white port. Yeah. Same here. Enjoyed the port a lot. Was just drinking a ten-year-old Dow before I came downstairs. Very nice. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of port. Yeah, <laughs> same here. It's uh, and then, I mean, it's a very finicky barrel to work with when ba- barrel aging whiskey inside of because it can be oversweetened very quickly. Yes, um, indeed. Sometimes, so the balance is very uh, very useful. We just put out a the tawny port finish with somebody who might be on this whiskey live instagram live i won't say his name or his store even though he's commenting right now wait port has been showing up in scotches lately too it has yeah interesting Um, a lot of white port barrels have come to market apparently i think teeling has one if i'm not mistaken interesting one other thing they're irish obviously but that i'm interested in is exploring more european rye so these guys Stawning from uh, the Netherlands, this uh, Danish rye. Netherlands, Denmark. Denmark, Denmark. Blue, blew my mind last year. Like such a great rye. And then there's another uh, rye that I had last year from Germany, uh, Stork House mm-hmm. or Stork Club. Um, awesome rye whiskey. So I'm interested in exploring European rye whiskeys yeah i think that's there's a lot of them out there um and i i want to taste more i have some australian 
try. You can try. I haven't opened the bottles yet for a couple of, for a couple of distilleries. I'll, I'll taste some Australian. Yeah, wine. I was gifted them last year when there was a bunch of Australians in town. <laughs> nice. Late <laughs> night at, at Brando's drinking cocktails, doing karaoke. Very good. Yeah. <clears throat> Give that a go. Stunning is great. Um, I think they kind of go to what we've been talking about for the last hour with like a, a brand that has a lot of purpose and intention behind them. Um, put a plan down on paper and executing it now for the last 16, 17 years. Yeah. If you, if uh, any American brands need a um, any tips on telling your story, <laughs> that is a uh, that is a brand to get in touch with and uh, learn from because those they can tell their story and when they tell their story you're like you're like ready to go and just scream about the brand to everyone and actually i i have told so many people about that whiskey after we sat there with with one of the owners that conversation that we had that night um was one of the best whiskey conversations i've had I agree. That was such a fun conversation. And so because of that, like I've told so many people about this whiskey. And I actually brought this to Kentucky uh, last month when I was down there for a, for a um, new festival that that's going on down there. Mm-hmm. And I shared this with a bunch of people and the feedback was all super positive. Like people really liked it. And it's a young it's a young rye whiskey too. It's like three years old, yeah. but it's fantastic. No, it really is. Um, the where how they've elevated that brand from basically there was no distillation happening in their own country to building everything out themselves to now having this giant operation where it's still truly purely Danish whiskey um, from getting the grains around their area and producing it all themselves like it's it's quite the story that uh a group of friends took a chance to basically through uh um just different text messaging and back and forth to one another and pursuing a dream and people kind of dropping out here and there and picking more friends up along the way and now they have people who are the founders and coming over to america and the rest of the world to sell it yeah it's a it's an incredible story people should check them out Jake and I have no affiliation with them other than that we we got to spend some time learning about the the brand last geez was that last summer uh, um fall I believe was it fall yeah I can't remember anymore but uh yes because I remember uh I was slight I have a non I have, I have a some more somewhat of an affiliation I guess with them um not in a paying sense or making money I just uh, our brand the brand I work for is on the same portfolio, oh. if you will. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, we do the same. Uh, I don't want to speak too much. I don't know what they disclose and what we disclose. But, yeah, so we're on the same portfolio. Let's put it that way. Um, of uh, spirits in America <laughs> from international brands. Yes. And I, I remember now it was the fall because I was in Colorado in late September, early October. And our founder of Star Wars was on the phone with Alex, one of the founders of Stoning talking about how the next step of evolving in America as they entered the market. And uh, we were on speakerphone and having a conversation. And then the next week I met Alex at the first gotcha. sounding event. Gotcha. And he didn't put, he didn't put yeah. two and two together who I was. And he's like, 
oh, you're Jake from Star Wars. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were just talking the other day. I'm like, we were, <laughs> we were. Yeah. Um, so no, that was cool. Great, great brand to have out there. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see what what um will happen with like single barrels and LTOs here in the states though, because I think the biggest part is like, will people keep spending the money? Will they have the funds to keep putting money, uh, putting support into brands that are out there on the shelf for a higher price point? It will will be interesting. I think I think think less so the single barrels. I think the LTOs will remain strong just because it's not like a it's not like a constant thing that you're mm-hmm. seeing. Like you're seeing multiple single barrels from from brands. Like they're out there. Like and you can you can get them, but the LTOs are kind of a different kind of a different animal because of what they are. It's yeah. it's limited. It's usually once a year. You don't you don't see them very often. Um, and when, when you do, you buy them. And so I think those. They're going to be fine, and I think actually though that might be that might be a place where brands actually start to create maybe some other products mm. and, and put out you know more more LTOs but a different product line. So for for example, like would um. Would uh, I don't know? I'm trying to think of a brand that like would. Well, Beam is actually doing it in a way with their. They've already started to do it with the Hardens Creek yeah. Yeah. lineup. Yeah. So they created a whole new brand, and then they're releasing different limited products underneath that brand name every year. So I think Hardens Creek started two years ago and they came out with a couple of products. Then last year there was four releases under the Hardens Creek uh, label. There there was the three, um, the uh, Kentucky series where they did the three different distillery, the same whiskey aged at three three different campuses. And then they did Jacob's Well, which was also under the Hardens Creek uh, label. So they did four releases. I know they're doing, they're going to continue to use that brand as kind of a limited, uh, limited offering brand basically, and changing up what they do every single year underneath that brand. So I think you can see some brands doing similar, something similar to that, you know, creating like an offshoot of their brand and using that to do limited releases underneath. Yeah. I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, and that'll work for uh, the bigger brands like that where they have the inventory and stock to play around with, even though it wasn't an intentional thing. Of I, I have no idea where like, the Hardens Creek concept came from, but it might have just been the fact that they had older whiskey, older stock sitting at each one of the locations and tasting it one day and seeing how different it was it could be all marketing it could just be like hey you know what we lucked out we had these barrels and we got thought of a concept um could be that too but it is interesting to taste because we have tasted those and we did see the nuances in those 
um, as Tim just said, it was a fantastic series and I couldn't agree with him more. It was yeah. um, a really interesting concept where you just saw all the three generations, the Russells produced that whiskey too, which is a, a really cool thing. Like obviously, yes, it's marketing, but at the same time, where do you see like three generations of a family um, put their, put their, like their concept into one whiskey? Like you don't get to see that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. We got yeah. Eric. Yeah. I see a risk in consumer fatigue with the constant barrage of new products. Is this just a battle for shelf sets with the big guys? Yeah, I mean, I think I know that I have fatigue as a consumer. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's uh, it's definitely a risk that you're taking when you continue to put out these, like for example, the Hardens Creek thing, and plus. When you put out those products, they're typically, you know, $150 plus, and then you're talking about a whole other thing there as well is, is that, you know, you're, you're limiting your, your consumer base um, right there, right off the bat as well, when you're pricing products at that price. And so you not only risk fatigue, you risk pissing people off. A little bit when you're when you're putting out you know products that cost that much that people might want but they're just not going to spend the money on. Um, I don't know. It's 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 been working, so I, I guess there's a risk there. But it, it for the limited time offering stuff, it just seems like it's 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 going to be fine. Like I don't ever see those put it this way. Those limited time offering bottles, you don't walk into any store or two, three months after they've been released and see it sitting on the shelf marked down 20% because they couldn't get rid of it. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't see it from the brands we're talking yeah. about, but you do see it. Like there is, like I just went to Benny's cause it's easy um, for us. But like Benny's has their sale rack. Then they have like their high end sale rack <laughs> in certain stores where they have more product where like, uh, like it'd be like a hundred dollar bottle on sale for $85 yeah. or $160 bottle of, uh, I don't know, like, like a Duncan Taylor Lafroy, um bottling that was $165 on sale for $135. So yeah. And that's different, I guess, when you're talking about bottling houses and blending houses and things like that. But those are still limited releases from um, from distilleries or even just uh, bottling houses. So yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I think people. I was in the I was in one of the binnies recently in the uh, what do you call it, the high high end room that's locked up, but um, was hanging out in there talking with one of the managers and just like, how long has this been? been here how long has that been here why is this 85 dollars off why does this cost 400 dollars? and like there's the amount of things that were sitting there collecting dust because it was so expensive and we're talking probably in the range of like 285 dollars to five thousand dollars for certain products it's just kind of it's absurd when you get to those price points and i guess the brands just don't care if it's sitting on the shelf and like there's some small brands on the in there but there's like three-year-old whiskey sitting in there 
that's over $200 just because the brand thinks it's worth that value because of what they did from the distillation and barrel aging standpoint, which seems a little bit crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, you can walk into any, any liquor store here in the city and those like super yeah. high end products have, I mean, you can walk and look at those cases and they've been there yeah. forever and a day I think those are a bit of a different animal than like your standard limited offering that comes out on a yearly basis from at least in American whiskey sure. from the the producers here in the States. Like those things are not sitting on the shelf. They're not collecting dust. No, no. Um, like to make a good point, how like the spot series, um, Irish whiskey frame doesn't know like they are going up in price and when they first started being released a few years back like it was hard to find them like you couldn't impossible if you wanted like if you wanted the collector set it was so hard to find them um green spot was kind of always around because it's a cheaper price point you'd see a yellow you see a red a blue would be difficult as hell to find certain chateau releases was like oh i have that one without this one um and now it's like you can just go buy them, but because but they're also more expensive. Uh, Japanese whiskey, Centauri, has just raised their price point and all their brands, um, which would be interesting to see how that's going to even affect the Japanese market more than uh, it has in the last few years. Where pre-COVID, you know, certain things were so allocated because they didn't have enough whiskey made. Um, they were huge in the secondary market with certain. 12, 18, 21 year releases, and even just like Hibiki, um, one bottle at a time if you could find it. And now it's like all those bottles are on the shelf, all those are readily available. You can find kind of everything you want from Japanese whiskey, but the price point is still now going to go up, even just like your basic Toki. Yeah. Yeah. And that will affect the market in a very strange way. I mean, like, I know, like for us, for example, we are elevating twofold which is an 80 proof whiskey to 90 proof um later this year and that's going to drop the price point like probably like around three to five dollars a bottle nothing crazy but it will impact a case of whiskey at the end of the day for our on-premise um accounts that are using it in cocktails like that'll be a, a conversation we'll have to have it might be a little rough like hey we're going from this price point to that price point is it going to affect it's going to affect the the ounce ounce per um dollar per ounce uh, price point a little bit here and there will that affect us not being in your cocktail program in the future yeah so yeah what does eric say but there are lto retailers sell and other ltos they let people buy the faster the latter seem to come with allocation baggage that's true that's a good point and i i do know like some liquor sort of stopping the whole like holding back um, things in the back office and storage, but that's more bigger accounts, bigger retailers where um, you understand like the independent retailers, they use those bottles as raffles and big prize winners uh, towards the holiday season to help move product, not just from those um, allocated whiskeys, but to, for all whiskeys or spirits on the shelf in general, you know, using certain whiskeys as a ticket. If you buy a single barrel, you get one ticket to, be in the raffle for the Sazerac LTOs or so, if you will. We all know that game. Yeah, it's a game that it's, it sucks. Yeah. Like it's a, it sucks the brand. Like where you put out, like you know, people are putting your heart and soul into a single barrel, and um, 
but, but I understand it. It's, I mean, it's still, at the end of the day, it still gets your liquid into the hands of somebody who might not have bought your whiskey yeah. um, at the beginning of the day. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we know it has to be done and it's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but, but, you know, it's, it's how things are, are working these yeah, days it is. For, for those independent retailers. It is. Um, well, to call it an evening, Chris. Yeah, I think so. It was a good conversation. I appreciate you uh, putting this together, Jake, and uh, inviting me to to come on and, and chat here. It was fun. Always and forever. It's been uh, harder to record conversations in the last month. Um, we are. Uh, we'll have a podcast out this week for everybody. Awesome. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I'm recording with uh, two degenerates tomorrow afternoon. Um, and I'll put that out probably Thursday morning if I can get it out. Yeah, probably Thursday. Let's just call it Thursday morning. And hopefully the streak will continue or we'll build back up. So we'll have a, a weekly podcast. Um, just for anybody who didn't know, I had a kid and kind of consumed a little bit of my life and didn't really care about recording conversations about whiskey so much. As the, um, those things can tend to, to, tend to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I hope you are uh, a part of the podcast um, this this year yeah. as much as possible as you can, working it into your schedule. So keep um, inviting me. Yes, I will. Um, and if you have guests you want to have on, let's coordinate it. But you have to figure out a spot of re- of recording. It's also a challenge too of like you know having a kid at home and a wife who's staying at home with them on maternity leave and not uh, having a bunch of drunk guys in my basement ranting about. <laughs> The online platform's going to end the on-premise. Um, or other conversations we've had in the past that uh, can be affiliated yeah. with such words. Yeah. So um, we, I think we are getting back our spot at Beguile. Oh, cool. Yeah, they are. Uh, they re, uh, reinvested it into the upstairs space, so we might be recording there. Um, and Kevin, who owns Beguile, he's, we had... Listen to him. Had, I had lunch uh, two weeks ago, and he's like, "Whatever happened to us like hanging out every Friday and like doing podcasts and having lunch and drinking beers?" I'm like, "I don't know, Kevin. Maybe we just grew up. You had a kid. Yeah. I had a kid. But we should. He's like, we should start doing that again. I'm like, well, we can start doing that. Absolutely. So, um, hopefully, we'll work something out there. But uh, King of Lake will be back this Thursday, and we will have more conversations uh, to come throughout the year. Awesome. Look. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Thanks, everybody, who's listening. Maybe I'll just put this out of the podcast. I guess I could take the volume and put it out. There we go. It's a standard uh, think think piece from Keena Lake. (laughs) All right, Jake. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. All right. Cheers. Happy birthday, Wilson. Happy birthday. birthday today. Hey, Wilson. Oh, happy birthday. Apparently. No one actually knows when his birthday is or how old he actually is. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) It might just be all smoke and mirrors. All right. All right. Cheers, Jake. See you, Chris. Thanks, everybody.